the master of the pithy put-down and my nemesis on Strictly, Craig Revel Horwood joins us on How To Be 60 this week, but he may surprise you. So I think I've come into a stage of my life coming up to and approaching 60 where I feel like I can do a lot more good than harm. And I'm wondering how to be 60. It's scaring the shit out of me. Greetings, everyone. It is me, Kay Adams, and uh, her, Karen McKenzie, with another right good dose of how to be 60, a life, a look at life beyond the big six. So, a right good dose. I know, a right good dose of what? Well, I don't know. I just thought it felt quite guttural, quite kind of visceral and earthy. Do you not think? Start sniffing. No, okay. Um, What's happened with the hair? You've gone like full Helen Mirren. Is that the colour you mean? Yeah. It's this blinking light you've put up in your room to try and make you look whatever you're trying to achieve. And it's just, you've done it so that, exactly. Yeah. This is all because I'm getting more emails to me and none and less to you. (laughs) Oh. Very quick with that. I mean, that didn't take long. How long have you been going? 40 seconds? Lovely. Um, shall we start with some love for Joe Brand? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's yes. do that. Now, I know we've got Craig Revel Horwood coming up, uh, but I'm sure he won't uh, grudge Joe Brand some love. He's, he's very, very good that way. He is. Um, this is from Helen, who says, Hey, ladies, what a great chat with Joe. Such a down-to-earth, honest, beautiful lady. Uh, mm-hmm. She made me think of where I am in my life and what I want from it. Love the show. Can't wait for next week. Self-congratulatory emails again. Yeah. yeah. Hang on. It says nothing about me. Why are you reading this one out? Yep. Yeah. Well, okay. All right. Okay. It's like panic here. Okay. Do you want to read one? No, no. Carry on. No, no. You can read it. You read the All next right. one. Okay. 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 Uh, hi, King Karen. Yo, you two make my day. Loved your podcast with Joe and like UK, uh, have been following her forever. A sense of humour is right up my street. Sad to hear she might be hanging up her boots to do other stuff. Sure, it won't be Nordic walking, Karen. Oh, my God. Uh, keep up the good work, uh, ladies. Your bickering makes me laugh out loud. I was actually just going to say bickering, picking up on what Anne says. Bickering, is that what we do? And then I just realised that's exactly what we do. Is it? Yeah, well, we've just done it, haven't we? I mean, though last week, I, nice. I really tried my best not to bicker. Do you remember? No. I was joyful and generous and, and encouraging. Do you remember that? <laughs> no, I absolutely don't. You don't? How long did that Is last? that your memory? Might be, but remind me of what you said. No, well, I, I was just... I was just. Oh, really you can't lo- even remember that. No, no, I was trying to be lovely. I remember it was quite sore. Um, <sighs> but, I, but anyway, it doesn't really matter because I've had a setback. <laughs> I've had two setbacks. What does that mean? Well, this is really, really difficult for me to say, and I'm actually choking on the words, but I thought I was going to have to call you up and ask if I could borrow your Nordic walking sticks. Why? My leg, it just gave up, it just gave up on me. I, I was, I, I was, you mentioned that through the week. I thought you were joking. No, What's wrong with it? I was in the middle of London. I was walking from Good Street to Bank, and my leg, it just... Did it just give way? It literally stopped working. And it was so embarrassing. Like, I couldn't get up the stairs at the tube station. You know that thing oh where you put God. one leg up first and then you drag one up. You look like Freddy Krueger or like Frankenstein's attractive. monster. Christ. And it was like, I, I just couldn't understand what was happening to me. And like usually at a tube station, I sort of flamboyantly skip up and down the stairs. You know, so look at me, I'm 60 and I'm yeah. skipping, you know. Hard to say. Yes, <laughs> no, that's hard I, to believe. I do. I do. So what happened to your knee? 
I, I don't know. I don't know. And, and the worst it. thing is it was all puffy. And Ooh, water. Do you know what? There's nothing more aging than a puffy knee. <laughs> don't you think? Cake. An elastic bandage on a knee. That is your, your old. Listen, I hate to say this, but I've got a puffy knee as well. <laughs> you need to take ibuprofen because it's an anti-inflammatory. You'd be looking like you've got edema. You know that really swollen legs. This oh. is just the start. I have oh. to say, this is the start. Do you think this is the start? Little niggles that just come in. And before you know, oh, God, my wrist is sore. Oh, God, my knee's sore. Oh, oh my, my back's twinging. It was awful. And I remembered, I, I, oh, well, nobody will remember this but me. I remember seeing this old-style entertainer on stage, Um old Scottish entertain it was a, a husband and wife act and she was like 107 I mean she was so not the old. crankies in no it wasn't it was kind of like the crankies I wouldn't mention who it is but anyway she was giving it all she was doing the tap <laughs> dancing etc and she had on like a pink fringy dress mm-hmm. funny enough very similar to the one that I wore <laughs> in the Strictly final it was Ooh. almost identical right but the lights were behind her and you could see that her knee was an elastic bandage <laughs> oh no and I can remember just looking at her <laughs> thinking oh fucking hell this there's got to be time to get off the stage that was God. so that was so listen how's your knee now do you know what, what that, well it's sore it's sore and the thing is if that happens to you when you're younger because i was going to these f45 classes it's really boring f45 yeah i'm too old for them I'm what's an f45 i you know what a p45 is what's an f45 oh it's this like heavy duty circuit training okay. weights burpees okay. all that stuff and i'm twice the age of everybody in the class mm-hmm. and i'm really starting to feel mm-hmm. it and now that i'm going to have to go back and underneath my lycra leggings i'm going to have an elastic bandage so your knee will look even knee. more swollen because you've got the bandage wrapped around it how many times? I know. It's just going to look fucking tragic. And you know, so, once your knee goes once. I know, I know, I know, I know. Oh, it's so horrible when it just gives. I might be joining your Nordic walking group. You can fuck right off. <laughs> You're not coming anywhere near us. Do you think Christine you know mind? Do you know the one that thinks I'm a complete cow? <laughs> I guess she doesn't listen to the end. She keeps falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> all right okay i'll just wait to the end of this podcast then i'll start insulting christine because she's never going to hear it anyway she's, she's going <laughs> she's gone she's gone um setback number two do you want to hear setback number two oh, yeah god go on then go. now this has got a strictly come dancing link and, right. and i know that craig is listening at the moment so can i just say to craig i am not shoehorning this in not much i'm not so that i can start rending my breasts over strictly i am over it i have moved on that's why we're still talking about it <laughs> I am never going to dance again. Guilty feet have no rhythm, though it's easy to pretend. I know Craig is not a fool. Did you get that? No, I don't. Fuck's sake, I spent ages Googling that. Claire, Claire. She's even forgotten my name now. (laughs) I told you before I don't do jokes. (laughs) Is that a joke? Was that a joke? No, it was a lyric, you fool. George Michael. I never liked George Michael as well. God, I missed that. Sorry. Probably not worth repeating. We can edit that out. Can we it's move okay, on? Because that really does make you look really Thick. tragic. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I was at a charity event, right? It was a Strictly charity event. So all the contestants, it was called A Little Less Strictly. It was for a, a hospice. Very good. And Nadia was there. Uh-huh. Kai's partner. Uh-huh. Nadia Bichkova. Uh-huh. And we were all chatting in at dinner and it was nice and all the rest of it. And funnily enough, I had just seen a clip of Helena Bonham Carter uh-huh. on Women's Hour, uh-huh. right? She's amazing. Yeah, so she's sitting there, and you know how she does all that sort of, yeah. oh, gosh, she's all bedraggled and mm-hmm. all the rest of it, but still kind of beautiful, so slightly 
oh, can't be slightly distressed beauty. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said in that lovely voice of hers, my envelope might be less strictly aesthetically pleasing, but on the inside, I'm much more interesting and dynamic and, and I think attractive. And so I thought, I like that. I like that from Helena Bonham Carter, you know, that your envelope is less aesthetically pleasing, but you inside have grown as a person. Right. right. Okay. Following I me? am following this. I'm wondering where it's going. Good. Well, and then I turn up at this event and there's Nadia and she gets up to dance with her partner. And I thought, fucking hell, be. youth and beauty wins every time. I can't disagree with you. Oh, God, I was hoping you would disagree no. with me. No, I mean, we just, like Ian and I sat there and we just watched her dance. In silence. And it's intoxicating. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how interesting you are. It takes a while to tell people you're interesting and you have to get into conversation with them. <laughs> Whereas she just walked up onto this floor and started to dance. Presence. And it was just like everyone stopped and just jaw-dropping yeah. stuff. Yeah. You've never had that and you never will. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. So at least it's not an age thing. That's true. It's not that I've lost it because I'm getting older. I've never had it. Can I speak? <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite know what to say now. But you kind of... <laughs> <laughs> Shall we see what Craig thinks? Yeah, yeah. We we will after this. Yeah. Hello, Craig. Hello. A mere stripling at the age of fifty-eight. Uh, I hope you're not yes. offended by being invited on this podcast. That's true. Well, no, I'm in my fifty-ninth year, so I think of it like that. As soon as you turn fifty-eight, you're in your fifty-ninth year, and that's for me only one year to my sixtieth year. And I'm going to make the most of that, I tell you. So you're embracing it, are you? Yeah, of course I'm embracing it. I've been looking forward to it. I want to retire at 50. I'd set up a plan to retire at exactly 50 from when I was 25. And I was, what show was I doing? Miss Saigon, something like that at the time. And then uh, in the West End. And I thought, right, I'm going to set up retirement because I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. And I went to the people that were arranging it who are arranging it for actors, you know, starving actors. And uh, I could only afford £126 a month to put into it. But I've been, I've, I've never changed that amount. Well, it's actually gone up 136. <laughs> <laughs> well, not me what I asked for in champagne after the age of 50. <laughs> and I'm now coming up to 60 and I still haven't retired. So there you are. So I'm, I was looking forward to old age. I was looking forward to getting fat. I was looking forward to not having to diet anymore or do exercise or dance anymore. As much as I love dancing, when you've done it for a living, it is, uh, it's the last thing you want to do at parties. It's bizarre. Tell me about it. But I'm, I'm amazed that you had that thought at 25. It never occurred to me at 25 when I would retire. In fact, I thought I would shoot myself at 50. <laughs> I did, honestly. I used to tell my friends I'm going to shoot myself at 50. I don't see the point after that. No, I just, I think, you know, dancing is a really difficult profession, a hard life. And like sports people, you know, it becomes quite tiring by the time you're 30. And then you're dancing up against 16 and 17 year olds and their legs are going higher, faster and stronger than you'll ever be at 30. I mean, I felt like, you know, their father when I was auditioning and I just thought, this is crazy. And I think that sort of sets you off onto the path of, okay, what do you do next? After the body fails, because it was failing, uh, I had shoulder injuries, all sorts of things and complications, you know, that happen 
when you get older, as you're talking about your knee earlier, darling. Have you, you ever know, worn have... an elastic bandage, Craig? Uh, no. <laughs> oh. I haven't. I'd rather be off. <laughs> but can I suggest don't wear it on the inside, wear it on the outside so everyone knows that you are in. <laughs> Otherwise, they'll just think it's Barrack's face or something mm. ghastly going on underneath your lycra, <laughs> legging. When you're a dancer and you're certainly coming up to 30, you know that that's the end of your career. You know, so you, you have to start winding it up and then you have to consider what am I going to do? I'm not qualified at anything, you know. And, uh, and that, that comes into your mind. And then I thought, well, if I retire at 50, then I've only got to choose another career for another 20 years and then it's done. But I remained, luckily, within the dance world and wonderfully the last 20 years as a judge. So I think, you know, that that's quite nice because I get to sit down and just hold paddle from one to 10 or one to four, as most people think, <laughs> which I think is, you know, great. You know, I was very lucky to get that job, to be honest. Because it's been fantastic and it led on to completely different types of performances that I've been doing since. I, I became a director choreographer when I decided, okay, that's how I'm going to hang up my dance shoes. And I really loved it. So I'm glad I kept on with it. So you're not retiring anytime soon then, are you? No, you see, the beauty is I could still be sat, you know, even if I couldn't walk, I could still be sat there directing <laughs> and choreographing. You can say, you you can, you know, say, you know, chasse pas de ray, arabesque, darling, and I'd like to see a <laughs> layout there, and I'd like to see an arch in that foot. And in the back, you know, I don't actually have to demonstrate it anymore. And in fact, I couldn't because I'm double titanium hip replaced now, so there's no way I can do that. Even though I am performing still, uh, you know, I'm limited at what my body can actually do, which is a little bit frustrating. But, you know, just the fact that I'm still on stage and still up there doing it, I'm really loving. So uh, there is no way, I think, that I could retire. And that was sort of a silly idea, you know, an idea of getting out of the chorus and just drinking champagne for the rest of my life. But, of course, that never really works, does it? You end up a, a terrible alcoholic. But I suppose when you're 25 and you're you're beautiful and at the height of your physical powers, et cetera, et cetera. You, you can't envisage a, a different life or everything else seems as if it's going to be a paler version of what you have now. Because it's like I was saying with, with Nadia watching her dance, you know, you just, I'm sitting there, everyone was sitting there just struck by the youth and the beauty of it. And yeah. we do get drawn in by that. And it's hard to think that anything else is going to be as wonderful. I mean, is this bit of your life as wonderful as that bit of your life was? Well, I think it's better because mm -hmm. I'm more knowledgeable and I feel a lot more confident and comfortable in myself. I don't now judge myself as much as I did then. Back then, I used to judge myself. Now I feel very confident and comfortable in my own skin, you know, and I don't care what people say about me. And I think you know, certainly being on TV and being a, well, an inverted commas, a celebrity, you know, uh, I think that sort of teaches you to be resilient and also teaches you really not to believe everything you read, <laughs> you know, because I've, there's been terrible things being said about me and, uh, you know, my other celebrities around me. I mean, I've seen things in paper, you know, we've all been through it. And I think that just makes, you know, for me, it's water off a duck's back and I treat them like a comic strip, you know, any any abuse that I get online and stuff like that. And because I really love my life, 
and I know that I help a lot of people, certainly in the theatre, and that's one of my passions, and you know that that's what keeps me going. I mean, what I love now is about embracing people, about seeing them fly, seeing them develop as performers, and seeing them become stars. You know, and there's no resentment there. There is only love, in fact, and to I don't know, they're like your children in a way. You know, you you give them wings and you see if they can just fly with it. And it's wonderful having the knowledge and experience to help them on that journey and have advice for people. I think that's really important. So I think I've come into a stage of my life coming up to and approaching 60 where I feel like I can do a lot more good than harm, you know, in that way. I'm not fighting to be a big star, you know, uh, that, that not my, that's not my jam and it's not my gig. But see, that's the Craig that, that the public don't see, that the sort of nurturing Craig, encouraging Craig, the, the one that is happy to give the limelight to other people, because, of course, what the public see is, is Panto Craig. I mean, you mentioned Panto yeah. and enjoying Panto, mm-hmm. and, and even what you do on, on Strictly is, is Panto. But that isn't you. It's just a tiny sliver of you. I mean, would you not like people to see Craig in all your dimensions? Sure. Or do you quite like the fact that you've got that panto persona that you can just leave at the door? Mm-hmm. Like we spoke to Joe Brand. We're talking about Joe Brand. Yeah. And Joe yeah, yeah. said, of course, that's a persona. I took it off at the door and at home, I'm a completely different person. And then yeah. when I go out on stage again, I put on the Joe Brand coat. Yeah. Are you the same? I think you have to be. We've all had difficulties in life. As a dancer, you come to work, as soon as as soon as you're in front of that mirror and you're learning something, you have to leave your problems at home. And you go to work and you are driven. Then, obviously, when you walk out of stage door, a plethora of, plethora of stuff hits you emotionally, doesn't it? You know, you've got to go back to maybe a really bad uh, home life or you, might ha- or you might be in terrible debt or you could have all sorts of problems. But as soon as you walk in the door to work, I think you have to empty your mind and just focus on that. So who are you at home? At home, I love cooking. I love making up recipes. I love entertaining. I really love that. I love meeting new and wacky people. I I like the the more outrageous the person, the the more fun I have. <laughs> uh I love swimming in my pool when it's freezing cold. I I love also, I just, I don't know, I just love life, really. I love nature. And I suppose people wouldn't expect that I would just like to lie sort of out in the garden and do a bit of reading, just listening to the bird song, all of that sort of stuff. I just love sort of the escape. I lived in Camden Town for 30 years, and then I moved to the country, into Hampshire, uh, just to try it out, to see whether or not, not because of my age, but just because I've, I'd had it with living on the doorstep of nutters. As much as I love nutters, <laughs> but I was, literally my doorstep was a metre away from, you know, the the madness and chaos of uh, Camden Town and Kentish Town. And uh, I thought, I think I'd like a quieter life. So I tried it and I fell in love with it and I discovered that I didn't want to go back into London anymore. As much as I love the red carpets, as much as I love all the drama that goes with that, and then the headlines the next day that are completely made up, you know, which we all laugh about, 
but that sometimes does destroy people's careers. I really love just being alone. <laughs> I have, I'm, I, I'm great at just being by myself. You know, a lot of people get scared about that, but I'm not like that at all. I love my own company. And in fact, I never get bored. I'm always looking for things to do. You know, I'll look around, I think, oh, that tree needs trimming or that needs doing. I need to mow the lawn, so I might need to do this. Or, oh, maybe I'll put a stack all that wood over that. You know, I always have something to do. So you're quite a domestic person. Yes, I am. I think I've always been quite homely in that way. I like a home. I like a home to feel like a home, you know, where it's full of love and full of all the, all the, the, nice things you know little frames photos of my family who are all back in australia and um i'll tell you what if i don't have those photos up they get hot with them when they come up <laughs> and like, well, those photos. <laughs> i love this cuddly craig yes it's a shame that you only witnessed the one minute 30 vile one <laughs> no 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 I, honestly i i honestly hand on heart i you know i i've been in television a long time i know how television works i am absolutely relaxed about it it was hard at first you know don't get me wrong um yeah. because you're exposed like i had never been exposed before but i've totally processed it and you know it is it's absolutely gone for me and it's actually a memory that i've met lots of people that i'd never have met i've been in a position i'd never have been in it was a learning experience for me at 60 it's good to have a learning experience so mm -hmm. you know please don't even think I, that is in my head at all but i mean genuinely because i like everybody else have seen you on the set of loose women i've seen you now on strictly and of course, you, you deliver this very professional Craig Revel Horwood, the judge. Da, da, da. Yeah. I just love listening to you, listening to Cuddly Craig, who's got a house, who likes spending time with his own, who likes lying, listening to birdsong. It's just it's just a person that I, I haven't seen before, and I like it. Oh, that's good. See, I would love to have you around for dinner, for instance. <laughs> and then we'd actually get on very, very well, I think. Well, I really, I love that sort of thing. The entertainment, I love, I love doing barbecues, for instance, because people always bring someone new and it's, it's good. And plus, it's good not to always surround yourself with people from the business. You know, I, I have a lot of theatre people and TV and the theatre are very, very different. I like, for instance, uh, playing Miss Hannigan in Annie, we become a company and it's very that everyone becomes either your son, your daughter, or your bestie, you know, and it's really, really lovely to have that love and support from all those people because we're in the play together. Yes, we're doing the same thing every single day, day in, day out, but we're going to different, we have all the same challenges. We've got to find accommodation. We've got to set up the dressing room every week. You know, you've got to get on and do the play in front of, it could be 2,000 people, it could be 1,000 people. You never know who's, how many are going to turn up. And uh, and it's just a wonderful live experience to have. So TV is very different uh, for me because it's a little bit more impersonal. You know, I've worked on Strictly Come Dancing now for 20 years. And uh, I, I don't go up to Claudia and say, oh, should we go out for dinner, darling? You know, like I would yeah. if, uh, for instance, because everyone's so busy doing playing their little parts. Yeah this enormous uh, show, you know, and just a very small cog in it. That, And then we all have to separate and go elsewhere mm -hmm. and do other things. You yeah. know, and it is only one day a week for me. Yeah. You know, one thing you said earlier about you being you're good on your own, 
you know, well, you've written more than one autobiography, that's right. Yeah, yeah I've done three. Three. I thought, yeah, the, the trilogy was enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have done a little bit of research, you'll be glad to know. Yeah. You know, you, you've been kind of in this business since your late teens, haven't you? And you set off around yeah. the world on your own at that at that age. I need to disagree with you on cats and a little bit, because it's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, but you love it. Okay, <laughs> we can that. talk about that in a minute. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't watching it. I was in it. Oh, you were in it. Very different. No, I promise you, it was very different being in it to watching it. <laughs> I remember my mom and dad taking to be see that me to see that in London. I thought, fucking yeah. hell, yeah, what, what's that about? <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Well, the movie sort of proved that a little bit. Didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but you've been on your own. In a large respect, well, if you take family out of it, but you've been on your own in the world. For most of your adult life. It's quite a big deal, that. Yeah, that is true. But I, well, I left home at 15 and a half. And everyone, you know, when I look at 15 and a half year olds now, I think, oh my goodness, how on earth did that ever sort of happen or occur? Or how was I even allowed to do it? But I think, um, you know, you're allowed to leave school at 15 if you've got an apprenticeship and stuff like that. And I got an apprenticeship to get out of school because I hated school. I just hated the, the bullying and the people. You know, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't, go to dance class without all of that, you know, and it was it was so much easier if I was out of that school environment to then achieve, you know, the goals that I'd set myself. But um, I really, I really loved, uh, I loved it at the same time. I sort of, without all of the, the people hating me because I was trying to be a dancer, uh, I don't think I would have, it would have given me the fight, you know, and I had people, you know, looking after me, adults looking after me throughout my life. But I travelled the whole time. Like once I left home, that was it, and I was by myself. But that never really scared me. It was exciting. I, I was. I used to think, oh, I, I got, what, what city can I conquer next? I went, oh, Melbourne. Let's do Melbourne. Then I got a job in Melbourne, and I felt like I conquered it. <laughs> and then I thought, I haven't done one in Sydney. So then I conquered Sydney, and then I thought, well, uh, what's left? London, you know, Broadway, all of that. And I just thought they were like beyond me. But actually, I think you know you meet. You become capable if you set your mind to it. You know, I, I never thought that I would be ever be capable of presenting, like an award show, for instance. I never thought because I was a terrible public speaker. I used to like get frightened at school if I had to read a paragraph aloud. You know, but now I can literally I can rock up in front of millions of people and read an also cue and be natural about it. I mean, it is unbelievable. You know, and I never would have thought for one minute in my life that that would be possible at all and uh and then like coming on loose women you know I, i'm I, I will talk about anything and i'll be honest about everything and i always i'm i've always been like that you know and i think it's all and it was all it, that's when my first autobiography all balls and glitter told me that i really have to tell my story in my own words and the way it actually happened rather than people uh floundering about the truth and trying to make a good story better <laughs> you know I thought this is crazy you know because other people's truths are very different I remember when I was writing that book my sister and I had an argument over just uh the truth behind one of the incidents in well, the book there were some and, pretty lurid headlines I mean Rent Boy is one of them oh yeah I know but I mean I guess you know I said I likened it to that I mean this guy was he paid for my uh, dance tuition. In return, we became sort of lovers in a way. But he was more of a sugar daddy 
you know, but you could liken it to Rem because I wasn't entirely in love with him. As much as he used me, I used him. You know, and I often say, well, you know, some ladies get engagement rings that they keep and then, they, you know, and then the wedding's off, but they get to keep the engagement ring. Now, if they cash that in at any point down the line, then that can be rent as well, can't it? Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you can put it as you wish. You know, I wasn't standing on street corners as I was, <laughs> as people told us, look, it looked like I was. I was not at all. You could imagine your one. sister or a family member going, oh, Craig, why are you telling the world that? Yeah, well, of course. I mean, my mother had a hard time. She put the book sort of up at the back of the bookshelf and decided she was never going to read it. But actually I said, look, it's not as bad as you think, as bad as the press are making out. I said, when you read it, you'll understand that you were privy to a lot of this anyway, you know, and she knows the truth behind it all. So, I mean, I think the scary thing for her was she had to get used to this whole comic book idea as well, you know, that not everything you read is the truth. Yeah, it might be based on a hint of truth, and it's always going to be a storm in a teacup. It really is. You know, and I've learned that a lot along the way. And I think it's, I think I had to come out and say all this stuff because there were people in my life dangling carrots, you know, and I thought, I don't want to be held to ransom over the truth. You know, and I just said, look, I'm going to come out and tell it in my own way instead of someone else being getting, you know, paid £100,000 to misrepresent what was the truth anyway. So for me, it was the only way forward. And since I did that, I felt so much better about myself. Yes, I went through about two years of hell with the press and with everything, you know, because I thought, okay, uh, what's the BBC going to say? What's anybody going to say about it, you know? But actually, it's sort of up to you and up to your audience to decide for themselves. And invariably, they do. And then, uh, you know, that, that all remains in the past now, which is a good thing. But, you know, there was also other stories that came out apart from that, which I really loved talking about, you know, in, in the second book. And then I wrote the third book when my dad died. And I thought, well, that's sort of the, the complete journey now. I don't really want to write anything else. And I feel like I don't need to, and that's why I went into fiction. How much did your early experiences, I mean, you've spoken about your, your dad and um, his alcoholism and yeah. uh, his lack of ease with your choices in, in life. How much do you think it has shaped you in your life? For me, it was difficult because he was in the Navy for 20 years and an alcoholic, an abusive one. And the reason I started dancing was to escape the house. And that's why I do talk about, you know, people like, uh, when they come outside the stage door, they have to face real life. Whereas when you're an actor and you're in a play, it's very, very safe environment because you know exactly what lines are coming up next. You know exactly what emotions you're going to be going through and you can see it in the future. And then as soon as the, as soon as you walk out of the stage door, that's when all the scariness sort of actually happens. I think that's why actors are very, very sensitive in that way. Although I was desensitized a bit because, you know, I, I had to build um, my my life up by myself, really. But my father was instrumental in 1985, actually, when I did a show called Lacasha Fault. He came to see that, and that changed and swayed his mind about two men falling in love because it was a love story. So when he came to see that show and saw that I was in drag one minute and the boy the next and that it was all uh, 
you know, just transitioning through, I don't mean in a transgender way, I'm talking about just um, acting, you know, as a, a as a Cargell, yeah. as a drag queen, and then next, like seven minutes later, I come back on as a boy. So uh, for me, that was good because it not only provided him with an insight into uh, the world I was now living in, but it also provided a love story and an understanding, you know, uh, between uh, the people that are straight in the play. You know, it's just a wonderful, wonderful drama, really, for mm. any... Yeah, I love it, actually, I do. ...in that way. So, uh, and essentially a love story uh, for people that couldn't be together and were ostracised by society. So, uh, Dad absolutely loved that. I mean, he came back and back and back. And that's when he completely accepted... Um, me doing drag and that drag not being part of my real life I wasn't living as a woman and I didn't ever want to be a woman you know I was just I was um, impersonating mm. as a, a drag queen so was your dad's acceptance important to you yes because not that we knew him that well but yes it was I thought that it would I guess potentially make him better, make him not drink as much. I did. You, you, I think as a kid, you wonder if you're responsible. You know, why is he so abusive? Why is he? Uh, why does he always have to drink so much? All of that stuff, because he he never stopped shouting. I mean, uh, to the point of hitting and that sort of abuse. You know, it was really it was really quite ugly the whole thing. And um, obviously, mum and dad separated. Well, which was good, but it wasn't obvious because she did stay with him for a long time, and then and then it just um, came to blows when he tried to uh, shoot her and and my brother-in-law, and then he went to jail, and then uh, then mum dropped the charges. I mean, it was it's full on, really, you know. But they had to come to that sort of head where he got the shotgun out and the rifle, missed. Thank goodness, but I ended up in the back of a police van in his pyjamas. And somewhere little Craig is thinking, is this my fault? Well, I think so. You can run the risk of thinking that. I mean, I didn't have any... You know, you just think, well, is it because I'm gay or is it because I'm sometimes straight, sometimes gay? I didn't sort of know where I was. And plus, I liked both. Um, was that acceptable in society? I think sometimes it's easier uh, to be one or the other than both because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people don't understand it. But that's I don't for them to understand, is it? You know, they don't they don't really need to. I mean, because it's private. I think you just fall in love with. Well, I certainly have. It's not the gender so much as the person themselves. Mm. And people, I think people can't understand that side of it. But um, I certainly do, and um, but Dad was very one or the other, and so it was nice to open his mind a little bit. And plus, I think you know certainly the scare and all of that of going to prison, and I think that calmed him down a bit. Became a big loner and moved out of Ballarat and into my hometown, and moved to a farm where he didn't really farm anything except trout. But even then, there were just all these pets he couldn't eat. <laughs> You know, so yeah. it, it was a bit weird. And he had all of these sheep. And I said, well, the names, they're all Dorothy. So it was like, oh, Dolly, you know, it was just ridiculous. Um, but he was, I don't know, he became an old eccentric. And I just saw 
when the gate closed for the last time, really, I thought, he looks so bad, you know, and he's still drinking heavily. And then when he finally drank himself to death, which he did, uh, I mean, we, we thought he'd just had a fall and hit his head on the television, but that wasn't to be the case because uh, they discovered that his, he had a blood alcohol level of 400 milligrams per litre or something, which is death. Uh, and so he ended up and ended up as a suicide, unfortunately. I mean, he would have he would have hated that as well because he took about he took out three life insurance, I think, against himself. So none of which paid out because of the outcome. But um, it's not about the money. Are you at peace with all that now? I am, and it's, it took a couple of years because he died. It happened at Christmas time when I was doing panto and playing Captain Hook, and I was seeing one of his uh, favorite songs, which is um, My Way. Of course, you know, that would be his favorite song because he was very into himself and stood up for himself in that way and, you know, as if uh, he was on the bow of a ship, sort of, you know, holding court and ruling the waves. Uh, I learned through that song to love him for the person he was and actually uh, for eventually coming around to support me because I think without the use bizarrely i wouldn't have been forced out of the house into dance class then i wouldn't have been feel free so i sort of have come to the idea and opinion that i thank him for that because without that i wouldn't have been strong enough to do it or leave the home and and i probably would have ended up a chef if anything mm-hmm. but um i had more fight in me but i think that was created because of my family life at home. Isn't it a remarkable human ability to be able to turn around what what is undeniably an incredibly challenging situation for you and your family and think, well, do you know, actually, there's positives in that. And mm-hmm. if it hadn't been for this, that, and the next thing, I wouldn't have been where, I mean, who knows where you would have been if your dad had been, you know, the sort of traditional cuddly apple cheat guy. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. <laughs> Yeah. I wouldn't have a view as in-depth as a director either. I think with life experience, you know, and the viewpoints of seeing your mum being abused, your sisters and how that affected them, you know, and just weighing it all up. I've been very lucky and very strong in my life that I've been able to uh, compartmentalise, I think you call it, or shelve various things in my mind normally so it doesn't it doesn't put me into a uh, a spiral of depression or anything like that so I did learn quite a bit and probably my father must have been depressed you know or something triggered his drinking something did mm. and I think I sometimes you would turn around I did turn around and blame myself and then I thought that no, well that's a bit stupid really because I've been out out of his life really since I was 15 and a half 16 so but yeah. um, that led me to being able to travel eagerly around the world and experience new and wonderful things, mm. you know, and to read people quite quite well. I think I'm quite good at reading the landscape within humanity and the temperature of a room. You know, I think that does help you in the theatre and certainly through my one-man show that I just did recently. That That was really good because I was talking about my life 
for the first time, it seemed I learned something new about myself every single performance. It was brilliant. Now, absolutely that's brilliant. fascinating at our age, and I'm bringing you into the fold. Karen, of course, the, the eldest of the three of us. Are you still <laughs> learning stuff? All through that. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. What was that? Was it insulting? You just woken up. <laughs> Sorry. It's nap time for her. Are yeah. you still learning things about yourself? I am definitely. I mean, that goes without a shell of a doubt. It really, it really, I think it's a daily occurrence. I learn something about myself. Well, I would like to know what's the one most important, significant thing that you've learned about yourself in the last six months. The one significant thing is that I'm a much nicer person than I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'm way more honest than I thought I was as well. Because I think over, over the years, you've put up a little bit of a barrier and you retain sort of you keep things back sometimes you know from other people and well certainly the media <laughs> but i've come to the opinion now after talking on stage actually just randomly you know i've i've, I've said to the audience i said you know that's the first time i've actually thought that about my father and that's when i came to the realization that i actually do thank him i didn't I wouldn't have said that before I started that tour, but by the end of it, I was, I was convinced. You know, it was amazing. It's incredible how your mind can work and how you can get over trauma in that way. You know, because it was a traumatic childhood. But I can't blame him entirely, and I can't blame. I mean, who do you blame? Do you blame the alcohol? Do you blame him as a person? Do you blame his father and how he was treated as a child? You know, uh, or was it 20 years at sea that did it? Well, you know, you, also, do you, you have to blame know. anything? Yeah, quite. Um, why not um, celebrate the life of someone, you know, as much as it was abusive, but celebrate it for positive reasons? Listen, Craig, we're, we're, I know we're taking too much time. We have something we call Big Six O Bingo. <laughs> yeah. And this is Karen's big chance. So if you just so choose. I'm allowed to ask one thing. <laughs> oh, no, maybe two. You can tell she's so controlling. Doesn't let me ask anything. I've got a list of things here I'd like to ask you. I know we've run out of time. She's taken it right up to the nail. And now there's only time for the bingo. All you have to do, Craig, is give us <laughs> two numbers between one and 50. And my lovely assistant here will take over from here. Right, okay, go for it. Number. Okay, well, it's going to be number seven. Oh, right. If you could have had another life. Yes, what would it have been? Ah. One that you would have chosen. This is the chef, isn't it? <laughs> well, yes, it would be the chef. I mean, because that was the only thing I thought I was good at at school. Because I won um, the Ballarat. Uh, championship <laughs> for making up my own jellied prawn cocktail <laughs> recipe. Mm, nice. Yum. Which sounds yeah. disgusting. It does. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. Actually... But I did get to the Victorian state. I became the Victorian state champion for the Sunbeam Junior Chef of the Year. So I thought it was a natural progression. And then I was runner up on Australian uh, title of Junior Chef of the Year. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I thought, well, that's my vocation in life. And then when I got into the actual room after getting the apprenticeship into the kitchen i hated every minute of it oh it was so bad i think i would have had to have persevered if that was my only ambition and dream in life 
then I would have persevered with that. I would have then taken over the head chef role mm -hmm. and got rid of the guy that was running it, who was annoying and nasty to me. Very often, are <laughs> chef? Yes, certainly. Anyway, next uh, question. Yeah, next, three, next number. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she's bored now, Craig. She's bored. So move bored. on, chef. move on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. One word, I'll... Uh, another number, Craig. I would like a uh, number 39. 39. Who has had the most impact on your life? Janet and Cheryl Brown, School of Ballet. The most impact, most definitely. And am I allowed to say one other person? Yeah. Miss yeah. Shaw who was my music teacher, because if, if it wasn't for Miss Shaw encouraging me to, this might sound odd, become part of the recorder group, then Jesus still, recorder. I was lead desk count and I did play the recorder <laughs> telling at in the Opera House. We are it seeing a new Craig Revel Horwood today. But if it wasn't for Miss Shaw doing that and encouraging me to continue with my studies of French horn, trumpet, tenor horn, and of course, well, from the recorder, it led to that, then there's no way I think I would have got, uh, become a dancer mm -hmm. or anything to do with it, you know, because I just, my love and passion for music was uh, created and developed and encouraged by her. And that led to me wanting to dance to it. So Thank you if you're still alive. I don't know where she is today. Well, one last question, actually, I, and I'm taking over. I'm being controlling, but it, it's <laughs> nothing it, you. It's linked to if you'd had another life. And, you know, funny enough, Craig, I'd never asked this question of a woman, so maybe I should apologise. Do you ever wish you'd had kids? I do. I do, actually. I mean, I'm very lucky that I have a lot of nieces and nephews and godchildren. To a woman? But, uh, yes, the reason I got married... The first time was for that specific reason. But that didn't work out because she fell in love with someone else. So so that's why that sort of ended. But that that would have been my opportunity and her opportunity. And that's sort of, I think, why we made a bond, and a, like a, a, a love bond together in that way. You know, and I think that's, that's basically what we wanted. Wow. You know, because we felt our time was running out. <laughs> she was 30. I was 25. So your life's almost over. We better get on with it, you know? But um, it didn't work out and wasn't meant to, I suppose. So if that relationship had worked out, could you really have seen a, a life where you could have been married to a woman and had kids? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. Hmm. I don't know, it's who you meet along the way, isn't it? And what changes it? It's quite extraordinary. Craig, listen, thank you so much for all your time and bearing with us. It's been a really, really great conversation. We've not even covered like a, a bit of it, but... Um... Yeah, I would have loved to have more time to ask you questions, <laughs> but clearly it's the way it goes. I've enjoyed it enormously. She can tell you all about her Nordic walking and her jigsaws. You're going to love it. I want it. to know about your titanium hips. It depends what you've got to do with them. I still had to keep dancing and titanium... You can pound away a titanium and um... and pounding. Right, we really better stop now, or we'll be in as trouble. Long as I possibly can, I shall be. Lovely to speak with you. Oh my goodness, we just cannot help ourselves. I blame Karen and her sexy books. 
Next week, we are on the road with our live show from the Glasgow Comedy Festival. How did we wangle our way into that? Thankfully, we're joined by the very funny and talented star of Two Doors Down and also of Annie Elaine C. Smith. If you're coming along to the show, do come up and say hello. Hello.